0: Welcome to the Poker with Podcast. We are in season five, episode number three. Uh, it is one of your co-hosts, Kevin, along with uh, Mister Kevin Teal here, Zach Sterniolo, and of course JJ Larose. Um, how are we doing, fellas? Doing well, man. Doing well. We uh, yeah, and
1: if I was any better, there'd be two of me, buddy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. We have a great podcast. We got a great podcast rolling out right now.
0: I know. Uh, We're I actually be
1: any better than I am right now.
0: And the beauty of technology is that uh, we just got off of the horn with a guy by the name of Jeff Gordon, um, who, you know, has kind of won six times here, uh, which is tied for Denny Hamlin for the most number of wins. And uh, Kevin Teal is actually, we're on a Zoom instead of doing this together. And, and Kevin's shown his DuPont car. I was and, just going to hold this the whole interview, but you know, I got I, mine. Yeah.
1: Mine's over in the case over there. I'd get it too. But Zach's, Zach's right. Yeah. Thanks for real.
0: Uh, it's needless to say uh, you can't be involved in motorsports without being somewhat of a Jeff Gordon fan or appreciating what Jeff Gordon did for his career Um, Jeff came to this place back in the 90s and uh, you know as an open wheel kid um, used to watch races back in the day right AJ Foyt was one of his heroes and um, you know to hear him kind of talk about what this place meant to him and then when he got here how many times did he say front stretch the front stretch is so daunting it's so long um, you know what what do you guys remember because you guys have all watched races here and I'm sure you've probably been here for a Jeff Gordon win Um, so why don't we go around the horn here Kevin talk about Jeff Gordon's impact at Pocono as you saw it as a race fan
2: so I'm pretty sure like the earliest photograph one of the earliest photographs that I personally took at a racetrack was of Jeff Gordon's car sitting on pit road because back in the early 2000s with the flames on it that was my favorite paint scheme growing up as a kid so that that's one of my uh, first memories of of jeff gordon here at pocono and just because i can and relive it because i was so young
0: jj what about you
2: yeah i I mean i
1: i think it's pretty much the same as kevin because i'm sure long before kevin and i knew each other we were probably in the same grandstand together (laughs) not together but um, if not that, then somewhere in the infield and probably taking very similar pictures.
2: But don't, but don't fool the listeners here, JJ. I had the Jeff Gordon shirt on, and I know you had a, had a number eight shirt on. I
1: so. one billion percent had either an eight or a three more than likely at that time, a three we, shirt on.
2: We probably got in a fight in the parking lot, and we didn't even know it. We, we probably yelled at each other at children,
1: yeah, at,
0: yeah. 100%. Are you, yeah.
2: Tricky.
0: Tricky. you guys, little kids, be like, you're a, you're a duty head, no, you're a duty head. Well, well, that's to be what fair, I that, that happens
1: like now, like that exact statement. Like I think I might have called Kevin on Duty head like an hour ago when he walked in here. So whether whether there's Jeff Gordon involved or not. Um, but anyway, bringing it back, yeah. It's I,
0: allergy season. So the smallest amount of laughter just makes me cry. So I got, I got I tears rolling. Fact,
1: I know for a fact I was here for a couple of Jeff Gordon wins. Um and as you know, he kind of alludes to in this podcast a little bit, um, there was a lot of mixed reaction coming from the grandstands and the infield when those kind of things happened. Um, so it's interesting to get his perspective on that and uh, and what he thought and what his kind of relationship with Doc was when those moments happened. So that's yeah. that's something fun that he'll get into.
0: So Kevin was cheering. JJ was booing. Zach, where did you stand on the Jeff Gordon fandom?
3: I was 100% cheering. Uh, Jeff Gordon was like, particularly as a kid in the late 90s, uh, I was like, three when Gordon was really at the height of his career winning the championships and all that. And so that rainbow paint scheme kind of drew my eye to the sport and uh, was why I became a fan. Went to my first race at Pocono in 2002 and seeing that blue and red flame paint scheme right in front of you uh, is uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And uh, the only one of his wins that I was actually here for was that massive rainout in t- 2012, uh, but better one than none. If you yep. want to see a Jeff Gordon one. Were you getting paid for
0: that day or were you paying us? I was paying you guys. Okay, I was paying cool. you guys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, uh, yeah.
2: So I... Zach was on my team in, as a kid here. In, two, in 2002, I think me and Zach teamed up on JJ. And yeah, yeah
3: that's 1,000% accurate. 1,000% accurate. I remember that now.
0: Um, oh, I yeah. probably was in that same boat. I my first hat as a motorsports fan back in the day. Remember those ugly hats that had the full number across the back? Like oh, it yeah. took up like they had the logo yeah. here, but then it was a full number. Like the two four was all the way across. I don't know why I had that, but I had <laughs> that hat, and that was my Jeff Gordon was my guy as well um, growing up. So um, always but, cool to. And then you got to work for. Him. I was going to say. Funny
1: about this is while we were yelling at each other in the parking lot. Haney was, was somewhere down on pit road.
0: I'm sure. No, I'm not 2002. I may have been, I may have been a guest of Hendrick Motorsports just because of a couple family connections, but uh, I mean, I might've been here while you guys were, were, were some hanging out.
1: Some of the later years, I bet you are.
0: Yeah. I was never here for a Jeff Gordon win. And I always wanted him to win here because this was like, you know, my home track. And it was funny. The first race back that we came back to, to work when I started here in 11, who won that race? jeff gordon so it was kind of funny that jeff was the guy who won that race and actually we had rain and we had to move victory lane um to our he already he didn't win in the rain but he won afterwards and i remember i was holding up a banner behind him i held up the victory lane banner me and bob plebman <laughs> so i'm sitting in the back and every time there was a picture jeff just kept giving me jabs he's like yep you really advanced your career huh Yep, this is great. Look at you! <laughs> you're holding a banner, bro. This is terrible. I'm sure that's just what you want to hear in Victory Lane. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, really cool, really cool." Moved to Pocono Raceway to work here, Work for a great family. But look at you—you're a banner holder. That's that's awesome.
2: Well, now you're now you're an interviewer, and I think this is <laughs> the perfect time to hop to uh, the interview where you ask Jeff Gordon the, the, the fun
0: questions. All right, let's get after it. All right. So Jeff Gordon currently tied for the most cup wins at Pocono Raceway with Danny Hamlin. Um, what can you attribute your success and strength here at Pocono Raceway to? And 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 how did you get a knack for this place so quick to uh, rack up all those wins?
4: Yeah, like everybody, I'll tell you, you know, it all starts with your team and, and equipment. So, um, you know, when, once you know, you, you have that, then it's about, you know, what you can do behind the wheel about it. just, Finding the edge, pushing the limits, and and you, know, I, I don't want. I know a lot of people compare it to a road course. The only it's not a road course, but where you do have the comparisons is that you have unique corners, and on each of those unique corners, um, it's going to take a different approach, a different braking uh, technique. Um, you know, different way to roll through the corner, different line, um, different commitment. Uh, and different handling, obviously, uh, characteristics of, of the race car, so, you know, to me, I always loved the, the challenge of, of any track that, that had distinct corners, whether it be a road course, or whether it be Pocono, or, um, you know, Darlington, Phoenix, uh, th- those are the fun challenges as a race car driver that, that you face, that, um, that, that you want to attack, and and that's the way I felt about Pocono. Um, you know, it's an intimidating place with those long straightaways carrying a, a lot of speed. That wall is staring you right in the face as you go down in, you know, especially the tunnel term. And, and then, you know, you, get, you start to, to learn the, the nuances of the track and the challenges. And of course, when I started there, uh, you, had to, you had to shift. And so, I, you know, I thought that was another cool challenging aspect of it. Um, and then, you know, start getting some good results by the things that the team was doing and what I was doing, and of course, once you put all that together, of the challenge as well as the results, then it becomes a track that you have a lot of confidence at, and you, you look forward to going to each and every time.
0: You talk about some of the, uh, the team aspect there. Um, Hendrick Motorsports as an organization is the most cup wins here, um, you know, compiled with Bodine back in the 80s and Tim Richmond and then obviously the 90s where you carried that banner. Um, Casey got a win here. Jimmy has multiple wins here. Um, Dale Jr. swept here. So what was it about your organization, um, not necessarily the dominance of the 90s and early 2000s, but how, how were you able to work with your teammates in order to fully understand this place?
4: Well, and I think you know if you go back into Hendrick's history, uh, whether it be at places like Daytona and Talladega, or a track like Pocono with these big long straightaways in Indianapolis, where horsepower is so important. Um, You know, course handling and downforce is important too, but in in the earlier days, I I think most of their success started with just getting down the straightaways extremely good. Um, That's always just been a part of the culture and history at Hendrick Motorsports is, is is the pride that they take in reliability and a lot of horsepower, so that always helps when you go to a track like Pocono. And um, I think then you know along the way, obviously aerodynamics and downforce and grip uh, just continue to be more and more important. And and so you know when you have deep resources like Hendrick Motorsports is, uh, has, then then you know that's a, a track that. Um, all those things can can come together. The engineering, the horsepower, uh, the drivers, the, the crew chiefs, you know, just the, the, the pit crew, every aspect of what makes a, a great team, it all kind of plays out at a, at a track like Pocono. Um,
0: the next question I have is actually related to uh, 50 years of this place. So in 1971, um, Doc and Doc Rose uh, kind of took over full ownership of this place. And Hosted the first USAC IndyCar race, the first race in our big two point five mile triangle that's become known as the Tricky Triangle. Um, a lot of history in this place. Uh, we became known as the Indy of the East. So, as a kid who grew up in Indiana, um, you know what do you remember as a kid hearing about Pocono Raceway um, as you grew up, and and then eventually when you got here, what was your first impressions when you first got to the track?
4: Yeah, I think the my my first. Um like the first time I maybe saw or heard about Pocono was, was on TV, whether I'm trying to think which came first, whether it was IndyCar or NASCAR, but I just remember seeing this long, long straightaway as something I'd never seen before. Uh, and the amount of speed the cars were carrying down in the first turn. And then of course um, you know, hearing that, that NASCAR uh, was braking and downshifting. You just can't fathom that on, 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 uh, an oval, what you know, we normally would consider an oval track. So, you know, immediately you're you're like, wow, I wonder what that's like uh, as a driver, and and it sure, sure is cool to watch. So I remember some of those older older races. I, I definitely remember watching some Indy car races because I grew up watching Indy car, uh, not just at in Indianapolis, but coming from California, um you know, I was a, a big fan of of Indy cars, Rick Mears, AJ Foyt, those guys. So you know, any chance I got to watch them, you know, race, then, then, you know, I was going to do, of course I was doing a lot of my own racing, but I remember watching some laps and watching a race early on. I don't, obviously wasn't 71 cause I was born that year, but, um, you know, it, it was just always known and all the times you heard the drivers talk of just how challenging a racetrack it was. So when I finally got to experience that myself, uh, myself, I, I was like, Yes, they were not kidding uh, of, of how cool this track is, and the challenges, and and the speeds, and uh, the uniqueness of of the Tricky Triangle.
0: Philanthropy uh, has been a part of your life. Obviously, it's a big part of the Mattioli's. And and, and you know, what do you remember about Pocono Raceways' family-like atmosphere? Um, you know, they've they've run this place as a family organization since the '70s. Um, you know, what do you remember about Doc and Doc Rose?
4: Yeah, just how involved they were, you know, how present. Um, you know, it's obviously something that was very near and dear to their hearts and they were passionate about it and and wanted the competitors and the fans and you know, everybody associated when they came to the event to to be welcomed and, and feel like your family and, and they treated everybody like that. So it was a great experience. Um, you know, you, you you come to that that part of the country into that area and you're kind of out in the middle of of, of nowhere and yet um, you know they the the Mattioli's would uh, um, you know invite you to their home for dinner and and you know just uh, yeah my, uh, definitely a different and unique experience than than any other place that we went uh, during the season and, and on the circuit and and of course you know I have. Fond memories of interacting with them, um, but especially going across for driver introductions. Doc would always say to me, because he started to hear the reaction out in the in, in in the the grandstands of people that were cheering for me, but people that were not cheering for me and booing. And and so while I was perplexed about it and trying to figure it out and um, come to grips with it. Uh, doc would always remind me it's like hey all the way to the bank all the way to the bank and you know it's just his way of saying it's okay if if not everybody likes you as long as they're making noise and reminded me of you know the same advice that Earnhardt gave me And, and so he'd always say just take that all the way to the bank so I always appreciated that and I got it got to the point where when I we would do driver introductions I would say it to him before he would say it to me and so it was always just this this thing that we, we chuckled and, and laughed about.
0: That's a great story. Um, speaking of, of this place, um, you know, what is the spirit here when you come up here? You talked about a little bit of a glimpse of that, but as you came up to this part of the country, um, not many big racetracks, obviously in the Northeast, um, you know, and obviously we, we built a pretty good uh, stature for ourselves being so close to New York and Philly. Um, where obviously in New York. You live for quite a bit of time. This was almost kind of a home race for you uh, in certain respects. So what what is the spirit that truly embodies Pocono Raceway and the essence of this place in your mind?
4: Well, I learned early on in my you know, sprint car racing career how passionate fans were in, in Pennsylvania uh, for short track racing, dirt track racing, modifieds, you, know, you, you name it. Uh, and, and that's what I loved about when you come to Pocono is, is the fans that, that come to that event seem to just be some of the most passionate fans, uh, of all forms of racing and the, and they'd come to, to Pocono to, to, you know, enjoy the races, enjoy the events, enjoy, um, you know, the camping, just the whole experience. Um, and, and I quickly learned that, that, you know, when I was building my brand and, and fan base. the majority of the fan base was in Pennsylvania. Um, You know, the Jeff Gordon Fan Club, uh, you know, as, as we used to have with memberships, it was unbelievable how many people were located in Pennsylvania. And then, of course, you come to Pocono, and the way that Pitt Road was set up to the garage area, as you walk out, there was this, you know, section for the fans and interacting with the fans and signing autographs that was unique really to any place else that, that we went. And you always made time for the fans because you just felt it. You felt the excitement, you felt the passion, um, you know, you, you, you felt uh, the avidness of that fan base of how hungry and excited that whether you were showing up at the airport or whether you're at the racetrack, um, you know, they, you, you felt that and, and they showed that. And so you wanted to give back to, to them. And, and so, you know, I always think of Pocono as, as one of the most, Fan-friendly and and fan-engaged racetracks that we went to.
0: Couldn't agree with you more uh, on that one. Obviously, we love our fans, and we're excited to have them back again this year. Um, Going to take a, a a slight turn, and then we'll come back to a little more positive. But back in 2006, um, first year out of college for me, I was working for the Raceway before I got the chance to work with you, and. Uh, something happened down in turn one uh, <laughs> to where I was in pit stall 43 when we had 43 pit stalls. And I heard a loud boom in turn one to find out it was you. Um, so talk us through what that was and how that impacted, um, you know, your, your life moving forward when you had that wreck with no brakes going in turn one. And, and you talked about the long straightaway and that kind of all came to a head in one short incident. So can you walk us through that incident?
4: Yeah. I mean, when I think of Pocono, right, I have some great memories from some big wins and, and some great battles and, and the challenges of the racetrack, uh, but it's mixed in there with some really horrifying moments uh, and some embarrassing moments, whether it be spending out, coming on the pit road. I think I was leading that race. Um, I missed a shift on a final restart there, leading the race, uh, got passed on the final restart one time. Um, by Casey Kane to lose a race. So I think of a lot of the ones that got away, but the most memorable moment, um, un- unfortunately for me at Pocono is that crash in 2006. Um, you know, we were just pushing the limits of, of the equipment as far as trying to keep things light, you know, keep the cars fast. Um, and so we chose a brake package that was just a little bit lighter and we knew it would be on the edge, but we thought it should be, should be fine. And, started seeing some, some cracking in the rotors and in, in practice, we, we made some adjustments for the race, hoping, you know, more cooling and some other things that would help that out. But I, I noticed, you know, fairly early on in the race, I don't remember how far into it had a, a big vibration uh, coming from the brake pedal and had a feeling that, you know, we're going to have to take care of, of, of the brakes. So it was just really trying to get to the end of the race and your worst fear as a race car driver, when you learn of how long that front straightaway is at Pocono, how fast you're you know going into Turn One, how heavy you are on the brakes, is to have any kind of a failure. But probably the worst failure would be a brake failure. So it's something that was on my mind when I first started going to Pocono that I hope I never have to experience. Um, and now I can say you know that uh, I survived the experience I, because I do think it's probably one of the closest that I ever came to to. Um, you know thinking of of hey walking away from this incident and and whether or not I would or not when the thing when the incident started but yeah so basically I went down to turn one stood on the brake pedal and immediately the brake pedal went to the floor and I I caught out of the corner of my eye you know a piece flying through the 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 hood which obviously was the brake rotor but at that moment all I cared about was trying to get this car slowed down because I had no brakes so The only thing I could think of was, of course, your first reaction to turn left away from the wall, which is always the the wrong thing to do, but you're you're usually your first instinct. And then just try to slow the car down with the transmission. So I put it in first gear and the car just started rotating, but it pointed me down at the grass. And as I went through the grass, you know, you you have no idea what what you're going to deal with when you get there. But as soon as I hit that grass, the car launched up in the air and all I could see was the sky. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble here. So, you know, you, you kind of, you, you're looking, but you're wanting to close your eyes because you just don't want to know what's coming up next or, or um, you know, how, how bad it's going to hurt. But car spun around, looked, luckily lost a little bit of speed and and then hit with the left side. I, I think what saved me was the fact that there were safer barriers installed um, recently at, at Pocono because I don't know that I survived that crash if it's just a concrete wall, it was a big impact. It, it it definitely got my attention. Didn't knock me out, but it was a big impact. NASCAR sent me to the um, uh, to the hospital, not immediately, but just afterwards. I checked out fine, um, but they saw the the crash data and how big the the uh, the G load was on the impact, and so it was it was just one of those spectacular crashes that was violent in every way, scary. Um, the only downside to it was if, if you're going to have a wreck like that, you're going to walk away from a wreck like that. You want to have some really good footage, whether it be in car or, or, uh, you know, good camera angles. And unfortunately there were none. I wasn't really running great that day. And, and so, you know, there's a, a few little things out there that show me going to the mud and the dirt, but otherwise they missed it. So I was a little bit bummed out about that, but Uh, yeah, that, that, that tore up that race car, um, and, and was a huge, huge impact. And, uh, luckily I I never had to experience that ever again.
0: Um, yeah, you came back in two races later, you, you, you won again, uh, here, um, you know, what was probably is the final question What was your, your probably biggest win here that you can remember, whether it was the nineties, um, or, or in the two thousands,
4: Oof. A good question. I mean, uh, you know, to yeah. me, the the most recent wins are always the ones that stand out. And when you have your kids there, that stands out, even though it wasn't, you know, our greatest uh, on-track performance and, and win, um, you know, the rain out and all that stuff. But but just being able to celebrate that with Ingrid and the kids um, was, was, you know, really memorable because my kids were at this age where they were um, – starting to understand what what you know their dad did and in you know moments like that how special they were and so to to share that with them was, was something that i always remember
0: well the two jeff gordon fans and the guy who wasn't a jeff gordon fan i'll start with the non-jeff gordon fan first are you a fan of jeff gordon as a result of this so my here's the deal my my feelings on jeff shifted <laughs> uh later in
1: his career obviously growing up an Earnhardt hard fan it was never jeff but as Jeff's career started to come to an end, and I got involved in the sport, I started to appreciate Jeff for what he did and who he was, and, and just the person that he is outside of a race car. Uh, so I've been a Jeff Gordon fan for years, just in a different aspect. But hearing those stories that Jeff tells, and the stories of him and Doc, um, and, and then going through that wreck in 2006, like getting this insider stuff from Jeff is just so cool, because this is the stuff that you don't hear in your typical interview. This isn't the stuff that he's saying when he's on the broadcast. This is just some one-on-one guys hanging out, having a chat, talking about racing, talking about careers. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm a fan of. I love getting this kind of info and this kind of access um, to a legend of of the
0: sport. And I'll flip that back on Zach because Zach has actually had the chance to interview him outside of things like this. So being a fan of Jeff Gordon and working in this sport, Zach, what's it like to kind of interview somebody who kind of was your childhood idol
3: I mean it's still there there are still moments where uh, where you're sitting there pinching yourself right I mean I talked about that for the the Richard Petty interview on the first episode of the podcast this season um, but you know I, I connect more with Jeff than any of any other driver because of that connection I had um, as a fan growing up so to to be able to sit in on this interview and, and to see him go into go in depth on this but you know doing that in the media center at Pocono Raceway in the past as well um you know it, it's special it's special for sure and again the insight that he provided on this podcast particularly is um you just don't get a lot of that honesty from a lot of other drivers especially of his stature so it's cool to to, to see him being so open about all of those things
0: teal what do you remember our interactions with jeff here at the track as an employee
2: um, I really haven't had that many here as an employee, but uh, some people on this call might remember six years ago, my 24th uh, birthday party was pretty fun. That really showed uh, off how much of a fan I am of Jeff Gordon. Uh, bowling, I forgot about that. Having a, a, bowling, <laughs> a Jeff Gordon bowling ball, I had probably 24 people there, yeah, all yeah. in Jeff Gordon, 24 gear. So that was the probably- year he retired, it was 24 ever.
1: I was gonna say that was Jeff's retirement year. The theme of the birthday party was "24 Ever," yeah. and that was the, you turned 24. And then your next two birthday parties were still "24 Ever" birthday parties. Yeah,
2: I tried to keep it going for a couple of years, but I'm turning 30 now, and I don't feel 24 anymore, so
0: <laughs> it's over. That's it all. We gotta add, gotta add that photo to the uh, to the timeline.
2: Yeah, that photo was good. I, I, was, I was proud of everybody for dressing up in their gear for a 24-year-old man's birthday party at a bowling alley. So that's that's my – and you tweeted it out from Poker Raceway, and I appreciated that. That made me feel – Yes, loud. I did. Uh,
0: and I let Jeff know about it. He said he liked it, so that was cool. That's all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, for fans, enter your stuff in at PoconoRaceway.com slash 50 to help us complete that timeline. And I'll kick it over to JJ, because what do you got to do for us? Folks,
1: you got to like, you got to rate, you got to review, you got to go to PoconoRaceway.com slash 50 and tell us your story so that we can tell your story on this podcast, maybe get you on here to tell the story yourself and just celebrate all things Pocono and, and all things 50 years here at the Tricky Triangle. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. We got a big slate of interviews coming up. I know we've already recorded one that was great. Um, and I know we got some big ones coming. So uh, stay tuned. Hashtag 24 forever Peace. Robert!